Welcome to episode 46 of the Dare to Dream podcast. My name is Vincent Van Patten. And I'm Gregory Russell Benedict. And this is a podcast for people who want to get the absolute most out of life and who dare to dream big. And today we are sitting down with a very special guest who I have a whole lot to say about. From inviting both Vinny and I to wake up at 6 a.m. six days a week to work out in the dark, to being one of the two people crazy enough to walk 50 miles in one day with me, Dane Sanders is quite the legendary character. He is a man with many talents, and his various roles include being the CEO of Tell Me Your Dreams, the creator of Men of Discomfort, host of the Converge podcast, a story brand speaker and facilitator, and a certified business coach. Dane was a professional photographer for over a decade and has written two best-selling books about the business of creativity. I've had the privilege of getting to know Dane over the past year, and I'm inspired by his level of personal discipline, his growth mindset, and his generosity in sharing his knowledge and wisdom with the world. Welcome to the show, Dane. We're so happy to see you. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. So I think for today, just to dive into it, um, as I was doing a little homework, a little research, listening to your podcast, um, I really loved the episode with Jeff Goins, um, the writer mm -hmm. and the creator. And you guys were talking about the hero's journey. So we're just mm -hmm. interested in what was that first, you know, that crossing of the threshold moment for you in your own uh, personal hero's journey, where it was kind of the first point, first time where you took that step across the point of no return. Hmm. Hmm. Man, what a great start. Uh, <laughs> let me say this too. It, after that intro, it's all downhill. Like there's nothing exciting to say, but uh, I appreciate that you're leading with Jeff Goins. Jeff uh, is someone who... Um, it's funny, I, I'm going to give you a quick backdrop on my relationship with Jeff. Please. So um, his ex-wife, uh, it was, is a photographer, and he actually met me through my book uh, because his wife bought it and it was sitting on the, on the side table. Um, and uh, he and I are both uh, fans and friends of um, a guy named Seth Godin. And um, he had said, he had quoted Seth on some things, but he didn't give attribution one time. So the way I met Jeff was I reached out to him and called him out. On, on not citing Seth, which is ironic because most of anything I've ever said that's been interesting, I stole from Seth Godin, probably unattributed. So I started off totally on the wrong foot with Jeff. It was awful. And I remember doing it like out of radical insecurity and the sense of like, no, Seth's my friend. He can't be your friend. Like it was so <laughs> petty and silly and whatever. But it's sin, since grown. Um, uh, now many, many years, he and I have been friends and I've just so grown to respect his journey and how he has so courageously stepped out into what feels like the unknown. And when I think about the hero's journey, when you, when you describe the framework, it just sounds so clean and put together and where you, you like the outcome is preordained and there's like no chance that you're not going to get there, but that isn't at all what it feels like. It actually feels like utter terror. Like, I'm probably going to die. This is the end. Uh, there's no hope for me. Oh my gosh, I'm going to jump. Like it's that, that's actually what it feels like. And when you ask like, when were those moments? Um, I remember uh, when I was in college, I don't know which it was the first and you never know that you're on the journey when you're, when you're in it, right. You're just describing it in retrospect. But I remember when I was in, in between college and grad school, I was engaged to be married and uh, actually, I guess it was right after grad school and my buddies threw a bachelor party for me and uh, uh, the story's pretty rad. So can I take just a minute to tell the story? Hey, please. All right. So so we had all been kind of steeped in, um, you know, um, fire in the belly, Robert Bly, like all this, this like uh, authentic manhood literature, being a bunch of buddies. We're just trying to figure out what does it mean to be a a man. And in my context, I had, I was, um, when I was about three years old, my dad died in a car accident. When my dad's dad was about, when my dad was three, my dad's dad died in a car accident. And uh, I have four kids now, but in anticipation of becoming married and be becoming a dad at some point, I was terrified, terrified. I had no vision at all of what it could look like to, to be a, a man. And, um, so uh, my best friends decided to throw me a bachelor party before I got married. And what they did was we did the normal stuff like you know, you go to somebody's house, you play stupid games and make fun of stuff. And, and then um, 
And then all of a sudden, uh, my best man said, hey, I need you to go upstairs and put this uniform on. And he hands me a pair of white boxers and a white T-shirt. And I go upstairs and I, I put this stuff on. And I'm like, this is weird, <laughs> like really weird. And I come back downstairs and all my buddies, like picture 20 guys downstairs. The room is like darker now. There's candles lit and they're all in tight in this really kind of mosh pit in the living room. And they get me to come into the middle of the mosh pit. And this, this one guy is leading the process kind of is in front of me and he starts asking me a bunch of questions and he says, well, um, and, and as he was doing it, he was, there was guys in the room mimicking my mom and dad when I was born saying these incredibly generous things like, oh, he's so innocent and strong and he's going somewhere. This is incredible. And then, um, uh, all of a sudden they handed me things like they handed me a sword, like a physical sword. Uh, they handed me eggs for innocence. They handed me all these like the things and they lifted me up on their, uh, on their, above their heads and carried me outside. It was freezing cold and they put me down and uh, they kept asking me questions. And the guy who was leading it said like, so then what happened? So then what happened? And I was kind of going like, I know where he's going for. He was asking about my dad and I don't want to talk about it. And finally I said, oh, well, you know, then my dad died. And right when I said those words, I didn't know it, but some guys had gone behind me and picked up a 10 gallon bucket of ice water. And the moment I said that's when my dad died, they doused me from behind. And I was just, and then they ripped the eggs out of my hand and crushed them against my chest. They ripped the sword out of my hand. They started putting ash on my head and my, and my clean white boxers and shirt. And, and I was just like weeping, just totally undone. And, um, and then one by one, each of them went in circle in front of me and said all these affirming things, but kept saying over and over again, but I'm not your father. You got to go find your father. I am not your father. You got to go find your father. And, uh, and, uh, and then when it was all done, they, they kicked me out. They kicked me out onto the street. This is my freaking bachelor party. Like <laughs> they kicked me out in the street and I had to wander about a mile. It was Huntington beach. I had to walk about a mile from beach and Adams all the way down to the sand. If you know that area. And, um, and I know you both do. And, uh, and they're all waiting for me. And then we all jump in the ocean and we have this amazing celebration, but the whole thing was to get set up for that one mile walk where I didn't have a clue where I was going. Like people were crossing the street. I looked so, I looked like terrifying. I, I mean, I just was so undone. I didn't know, but they were kind of making sure I was safe at the time. But as far as I was concerned, there was nothing safe about the experience. It was just this utter, am I willing to trust? Am I willing to go forward? Am I willing to, to move in a direction where I don't know how this is going to end? But I would argue that most of my moments like that, um, not always as dramatic, but certainly as potent are when I've come up against myself and I didn't have anything to offer. And it was precisely in that moment where somebody invited me to step forward, to go somewhere I didn't know how, how to or where it was going. And in my experience, um, I haven't died yet that I'm aware of. Uh, and uh, I, my experience is that every time I've been willing to do that, something, someone has, has been there. And um, I found what's been needed. And when, I, and when I think about the hero's journey, it's primarily one of, of we're, we're looking to transform, we're looking to become who we're made to be. But most people are sleepwalking in life. They don't, they don't even know there's a journey to get on. Um, no one's calling them and maybe they've given up. Um, Kierkegaard says that, or said that, Man finds a level of despair he can tolerate and he calls it happiness. And I find that phrase haunting and true. And I have no interest in settling for despair, but I'm always tempted to. I'm always tempted to go, I don't wanna go. Uh, it doesn't sound like the right thing for me right now, but when I'm courageous enough and I can find a, a way to hold my breath and move forward, it's worked out. Man, I, I got chills from that. Honestly, that story is unreal. I mean, it sounds like something similar to our fraternity initiations and, mm. um, you know, just so many ways to take that. But what I wanted to say about like the hero's journey is if you, it's kind of like this, how I like you said you, it's like very clean and um, just this story that's, you know, from the beginning of time, it's this um, story of a human being who's taken, you know, from what's comfortable, what they know as home they're thrown into the unknown and they got to figure it out for themselves. They got to figure out what they're made of. And just knowing that how many people have gone through this mythological, just 
life defining experience. It's like, no matter what you're going through, you can see it as like, this is it. There's, there's no meaning here. Or you can see it as I, I'm just beginning my journey and I'm as low as perhaps I could be. But, you know, if you know the story, then you know that there is always a shot of redemption and, you know, something to kind of move towards. Yeah. Yeah. That come what may idea. I mean, on some level, the nice thing about coming to your end is um, uh, what do you lose if you don't go forward? <laughs> like it, there's a sense of um, it, it, it's the fool's errand to stop actually, but to move forward is probably in retrospect, the safest thing you could have done, but you don't know it. So this is where I, this is where I feel for folks who don't move forward, they get paralyzed or stuck or um, they, they, they just stop. Um, and I think that's more normal than ever. There's a whole culture encouraging people to be comfortable, to choose the convenient route, to go the easy way. And um, it's ironic because the easy way that's being sold is the hardest way, actually. It's like the worst way. It's the most dangerous way. And this narrow path actually is, is the easiest path. It's just uncommon. It's, it's hardly anybody gets on it. Um, and when no one else is getting on and everyone's getting on the other train, uh, I, I get why people uh, think that the other option is better. But it's, it's just... I, I, it's a bummer. Uh, and a bummer is such a ridiculously silly phrase relative to how tragic it really is. Yeah, that, that really reminds me of what Jersey Gregorek says, where he says, hard choices, easy life, totally easy choices, hard life. And you spoke a lot about heeding the call and that it was when you stepped forward and you listened to that, that things went well for you. But as you also mentioned, it's really easy to stay where we are, to be comfortable, to be secure and safe um, in our temperature controlled world to steal words from Michael Easter. What advice or encouragement would you give to someone who is feeling paralyzed and they want to go on the hero's journey, but they just aren't hearing the call or they don't know where to go next? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. What do I really think about that? First of all, Jersey's comment is so potent. Um, I couldn't agree more. I guess, I guess one thing I'd say, and this is the rub, right? Like you guys are promoting things like her journey. I am in my own work. And at the same time, there's a sense in which, because this, when you describe the, the framework, it, it sounds so clean and precise and it never actually feels that way. Um, it's almost more resourceful to not think so much about, am I on the hero's journey? Am I not? Um, I think it's probably more helpful to go, um, when I hear the bell, am I running away or I'm running toward? When I'm feeling that pang of fear, when I'm feeling that sense of I want to, I'm that I'm, I'm I'm really uncomfortable. It means that you're onto it. Like if you're not actually feeling that thing, that's when the alarm bell should be going off. So if I was listening to this conversation and hung in this far, I guess I would ask the question: Is like right now, if you're listening, close your eyes for a second. No one's watching. Close your eyes and ask yourself, what are you resisting? Like, what are, the, what are the pieces or places or people or conversations or exercises or book or idea? Just be honest. You don't have to tell anybody, but just for yourself, like give yourself the freedom to, to investigate that for a second. And to the degree that you have courage today, and that's all you need, you actually don't need this Herculean effort to get the whole thing done. You couldn't get it done if you tried that way. All you actually need at this moment is to walk one step towards that, just one step, whatever. And, and if you're drawn to the other, if you're drawn to the, to the easy, um, it could be that you're in trauma right now and easy is what you need. To like just for the record, I'm not a, a masochist here. I, I'm actually just saying there's moments when we know we're taking a path that isn't getting us better, it's getting us worse. And whenever you can tune in, I think that's the first part is to notice. And once you've noticed, then you can actually make a move. Until then, you're kind of asleep. Um, Anthony DeMello likes to say, uh, we're born asleep, uh, we uh, grow up asleep, we get married in our sleep, we have babies in our sleep, and we die in our sleep. Most people spend their whole life asleep. So until you wake up, there's not much to talk about. 
so start there. And then if you're lucky enough to smell something saucy, walk toward it. <laughs> Great way to put it. <laughs> so I am deeply fascinated by your, you got your master's in philosophy and ethics. And I would, cause so you're very inspiring to me because it seems that you deeply care about these kind of metaphysical, um, you know, subjects and topics and things that really give our life meaning. And that's what me and Greg are really searching for right now. Obviously our lives are very meaningful in many ways, but you know, there's, there's always the question of like, what, what are we doing it for? Are we on the right path? And I'm just curious how you kind of found philosophy and got into that. Uh, it always starts with girls. I mean, if we're honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I was in line as an undergrad and the girl in front of me, her name is Allison. Um, she, uh, I'm still friends with her a million years later, but uh, she was super cute and she picked marketing as a major. And I was an athlete in college. So I picked, I picked marketing. That made sense to me. And, um, uh, and then kind of went through my degree. And then the end of my degree, I figured out that um, I was, I was learning the skill of how to manipulate people to buy things they didn't want or need and felt gross. So um, I uh, did the exact opposite of what I thought that would be, which was study philosophy. And if you study philosophy in grad school, you know that um, it's a recipe for unemployment or teaching. <laughs> so I became a teacher and, uh, and then, but, but in the process of going, of, of studying Aristotelian virtue ethics in particular, and other, you know, kind of areas, philosophy, um, uh, epistemology, um, in particular, uh, metaphysics. Um, I, um, I found myself, and really philosophy of religion, I found myself in a place of uh, massive expansion in my mind. I didn't see myself as smart in any way. Um, all of my peers were brilliant. Um, most of my friends in grad school, I only got a master's degree. They went on and did their PhDs and psychology and philosophy. And um, I was just kind of, I always felt like I just kind of snuck on the team. Um, but when I got off of my concern about comparison and got on to who was I becoming and how was I going to get through this life in a meaningful way? And really somewhere along those lines, I, I bumped into Viktor Frankl, who I know, uh, Gregor, you were writing about, I don't know when you're going to air this podcast, but this week in your newsletter and um, his logotherapy really helped me frame out how to create a meaningful life. Um, and, and, the, and not only how to, but how critical it was that if I couldn't find meaning, uh, the only option was despair, it was nihilism. Um, and I was just, there was too many providential realities in my life um, to deny the existence of something bigger than me. And I was just interested in finding out and still I'm interested in finding out what that is. Um, and I'm after it. Um, my whole life centers around it and I keep thinking I discover things. And then I find this whole new chamber of reality that I didn't know existed. Like my God is getting bigger the more I investigate it, which I think is a good sign. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's creating this meaningful life, but it's also very humbling to realize I, how little I know. And it's also hugely life-giving. It's helping me keep perspective, put things in the right lane as I you know, stumble along as a dad and I stumble along as a husband and I stumble along as a friend. Um, but it, I found patterns in that process that are, they just give me life in a way that I, I want for people around me. And at the same time, I should say this, because I'm good at marketing, and by the way, marketing got redeemed for me. I love marketing now, thanks to Seth Godin and some other people. Um, but uh, because I'm, I'm decent at marketing, I always want to like sell my ideas to people. That's kind of a bias in my personality. I like to enroll. But the stuff that we're describing, it's not like that. It's not like I got to beg you to do this thing. It's not how it works. The way it works is people have to find their own path. They just have to. And um, and this is why like taking on the faith of your parents, it works until you become an adult and then it stops working and you got to find your own path. And that's part of the hero's journey. That's part of what it means to find meaning in your life. Um, whether you go to grad school and philosophy or not, doesn't 
that stuff's not as important as that you get after it. And it's just helpful when you can read, like people have been thinking about these ideas for thousands of years. And it's just nice to not start from zero. So that's why you read philosophy is because people have worked out a lot of categories and can speed up your learning. Guys, I'll just say this real quick. I am so long-winded in my answers because I'm so excited to be talking about this stuff. So please forgive me. Please cut me off if I'm just going too long. I, I, I would welcome it. Please, I've been wanting to talk to somebody about philosophy and this stuff for a long time. So I, <laughs> I'm riveted. And just on the whole Viktor Frankl um, quote that Greg put in his lo lovely newsletter. Yeah, let's, lo let's call it a love letter. It is a love, a love letter. letter. That's, what, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, exactly. She says basically that if you chase success, you're not going to find it. And the moment you stop ch chasing success, like, you know, like many things, that's when it comes to you and, or, you know, you have a better chance. I'm not going to say it's guaranteed, but um, what I'm kind of just like, you know, learning and interested in is it's the same thing that kind of drove me to philosophy. Um, I didn't take one philosophy class in college. And then I just, well, I met somebody kind of like a mentor who just fell into my life. And he told me to take these um, just intro to Greek philosophy through the great courses. And mm. I've been obsessed with philosophy ever since because it's not like I'm, you know, looking for something that's going to make me rich at this point. But I just want to know like what will enrich my life. And that's kind of what philosophy has done. And um, so it's kind of like if we start to do things that we actually, you know, heed our curiosity a bit and do things that we actually feel like will fill us up instead of seeking something that society expects or, um, you know, is expected of us, then, then the things that we aren't even searching for anymore might come into our lives more. That's complex, yeah. but. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. I, and I want to just point out something you just said that I think it's really important and something that Ryan Holiday does a really nice job of emphasizing over and over again in his encouragement for people to read Stoic philosophy. Um, and that's that if your philosophy just keeps you in your head, it's not a very good philosophy. It's, there's kind of been several eras of philosophical inquiry. And the Renaissance kind of screwed it up in a sense. It, it, it expanded philosophy radically with a lot of smart fellas and some women, but not enough were sharing ideas uh, in that era, at least not enough that we got to hear from. Um, but, but the rub was it, it started to move in the direction of cognitive philosophy as opposed to practical philosophy. Um, and what you're describing as practical philosophy, Ryan Holiday is describing as practical philosophy. It's, it's ideas that have been worked out in practice in someone's real life that are supposed to help us navigate the world we're in. And the world we're in is a, is a difficult world. Uh, it's a hard, harsh world. And I think that's some of the reasons why people are drawn towards convenience and comfort. And because it feels like even when people say they want life work balance, what they really mean in those moments is they want relief because they're overwhelmed and they have this expectation that life should be easy, but that's totally wrong minded. Every philosopher ever, the, the one universal that all humans share, no matter socioeconomic, faith tradition, uh, atheist, it doesn't, deist, doesn't matter. Uh, we all suffer. Suffering is the universal. And if suffering is the universal, and Frankl acknowledged this, that you need to have a narrative that you tell yourself that deals with suffering that that in that interprets suffering in a purposeful way and because i think people at the very beginning start with this mindset of life should be easy and it's not so i need relief give me comfort instead of smart philosophers who say no life is difficult first so how do we deal with this difficult world well good philosophy helps us deal with the realities of what we're in the midst of and um and then when things like global pandemics happen, when things like cancer uh, uh, news from the doctor happens, when um, I knew a guy once who was running his first 50 mile race and on mile 26 stepped off of a, just before 26.2, stepped off of a curb and broke his ankle. And uh, then he had to get up and the next year he did the 50 mile, like stuff like that. It's like, whether it's little like a broken ankle or big, like, um, you know, um, you know, losing a loved one uh, in a moment when it just seems early or wrong. 
you got to have a means to deal with those kinds of things. And you got to come up with those means before the moment happens. It's very difficult to know what to do if you haven't practiced, if you haven't gotten a little bit ready. Um, so uh, I think you're wise to go down the road of reading and getting after the philosophy. But what I love about you two, and one of the reasons why I was so excited to be on the show, is you are not satisfied with just the cognitive kind of philosophy. You actually put your bodies where your mind goes. And that's how you find out if those ideas are worth anything. A question that just came up for me in all of this is, is it wrong to go into this whole exploration of philosophy, religion, life in general? Is it wrong to go into it looking for the right answer? Or should we instead go into it looking for as many useful tools as we can gather and bundle together to make it meaningful for us? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think at the least it'd be helpful to have some tips and tricks to navigate life. So I don't <laughs> see a downside to that. Um, as far as the right answer goes, um, it depends what you mean by the right answer. So if, if what you mean is reality, uh, like, like for example, let's say, let's say the three of us fundamentally disagree, like on a really base level, we disagree on some fundamental thing. Like, like I think this, I'm holding up a mug. I, I, I think this is uh, red. Gregory thinks this is blue. And uh, Vincent thinks this is what did I miss green, and uh, and we we which uh, and we're not going to get lost in wavelengths and whatever. But we real something like I think two plus two equals one, what, two plus two plus five, two plus two equals sixty eight. And here's what we know for sure: either one of the three of us is right and the other two are wrong, or um, the other one is right and the other two are wrong or the third guy is right and the other two are wrong or we're all wrong but something is right something is real something is so our interest if what you're saying is getting after what is that sounds interesting that's a worthy project but what is is big what is 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 like this is my point about getting to know your god and whatever you think is ultimate reality keep going because it's bigger than it seems. But if it keeps getting smaller or you've mastered it, or you feel like you have it all kind of your arms wrapped around whatever your God is, I, that sounds like your God's too small. Um, if you're willing to wrestle, your God should get bigger. Um, but I, and I just say, when I say God, I just mean whatever, when you say the right answer, that's what I mean, whatever is ultimately real. But the pursuit of reality, that, <laughs> that is, that is, that's no um shoots and ladders that's like serious business uh the kind of thing that you build your life around it's no easy task and yeah that was a very open-ended question but i think what i'm getting at is you have brilliant minds on either end of the spectrum whether it's in the nutrition industry and you have one doctor saying you should eat only meat you have yeah. another doctor saying you should eat only plants yep. or you have two intellectuals like sam harris and jordan peterson going back and forth about religion and if religion has a place in society. And so yeah. that was more of what I'm getting at because it can be frustrating. I don't know if frustrating is the right word. It can be, I almost lose myself sometimes in adopting other people's beliefs from what I'm reading and what I'm listening to. And yeah. how important do you think it is to come up with your own ideas and your own beliefs? Well, I think it's really important for you individually to test your beliefs, to test your ideas. So let's say you're in an intermittent fasting and you read Peter Tia and you think he's all that and it makes all the sense of the world, which side note, I'm that guy right now. Um, and and um, I, I think that's all fine and good, but you better start getting after a 16-8 fast or an 18-6 fast or doing a handful of 36-hour fasts. And you're going to find out some things that will really make a significant difference. And let's say you do that and let's say uh, you're female and it messes with your menstrual cycle and you realize like, okay, what if Peter Tia is right, but not right for me, where there's kind of fundamental concepts that make sense, but they don't make sense for how my body is wired. Well, then you tweak and then you fine tune. But there's, you, I guess what I want to suggest is, let's say you're looking at diets, all the different diet options out there. And 
let's get clear on what the purpose of the diet is. If the purpose of the diet is to lose weight, there's probably about 4,800 versions of each diet that you could come up with that will work if you just do it. Um, but what I'm more inclined or interested in is kind of higher order things. Um, and even though, even if you're um, experimenting with trying with different kind of new ideas or new to you ideas, um, I think as you hear about them, if you're compelled by them, you want to test them in the real of your life. Um, as long as you're, you know, you do it as safely as you can, but also sometimes you're experimenting with yourself. I think that's a, a wise way to go. But I, I don't think there's like these universals in every category. I think that there are universals, but I think that there's probably um, a lot more latitude to figure out custom fit for individuals. Does that make, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm not trying to weasel out of your question. Um, I think it just depends on the order of what you're talking about. No, that makes perfect sense. And what you were saying there reminded me of something you shared when Vinny and I were doing Men of Discomfort with you, which is this, for those of you listening, it's this fitness, discipline, nutrition-esque three months where you really, you remove a lot of optionality. You work out every single day except one. And what you mentioned, what you shared with us during it was plain infinite. And I know that there's some other things along that. It was travel light, fuel first. And I was hoping you could just speak to those five or six things and share that with us. Sure. Yeah. So um, in, in my grid, well, yeah, in my grid, I have these eight kind of maxims that I work off of that are really resourceful for me. And I've shared them. The first two are uh, get to. So that's a really simple idea of um, in a world where you feel like a, like everything's a chore and everything's a have to, um, if you can somehow change your relationship with that thing from a have to, to a get to, it fundamentally transforms what the thing is. So the old proverb, two guys are pushing rocks up a hill. One guy's pushing rocks. The other guy's building a cathedral. Um, same kinds of guys, same kinds of rocks, same kinds of hill, but for whatever reason, because of the relationship between one of them and the rock, if they have that sense of meaning or purpose, uh, then all of a sudden the rock feels different. Still as heavy if you weigh them same weight, but one feels more purposeful and therefore in a, in a sense lighter. So let's get to uh, choose your role is a play on the hero's journey with the four primary roles in life and making sure you're victim, a hero, a, a guide, or a, um, a special kind of villain we call the rescuer. Um, and uh, we talk about that. Then we talk about traveling light, which is not complicated. It's just if you're up in a backpack, if you're carrying a backpack that's 80 pounds and you put your backpack down, and you're traveling lighter, it sure feels a lot better. That's just smart. Um, uh, and then we do uh, fuel first. I was before travel light, fueling first is simply, it's easier to travel when you have gas in the tank than when you're running on empty. Um, talking about prioritizing profit, uh, whatever is profitable to you, uh, how do you make that first? Uh, we talked about correcting course because we're always off course. So we need to fine tune. Uh, then we play infinite. That's an old play on uh, there's a scholar out of NYU who wrote about it first, and then Simon Sinek wrote about it. Um, this notion of finite games you play to win. Uh, that's the games that everyone's used, used to, football games, soccer games. Um, uh, but there's infinite games too, like love, uh, business, um, uh, becoming, uh, that actually you're, you can't win, but you can be winning. And there's ways to play. There's different rules for the different kinds of game we talk about a lot. And then finally, stand now as a bias towards action, to presence, and um, to having a, a, a willingness to stand up when a whole world is inviting you to sit down. I love that. I think um, one that really resonates with me and that I've thought about a lot is the infinite game and just playing the infinite game. And so I, what I loved about um, in your conversation with Jeff Goins um, he says, the meaning of life is not the point of life. The meaning of life is to live it. And that just, to me, kind of brings up just this thought of there's no, I mean, you get to the end of your life and maybe there is, who knows, obviously, I do not know, but maybe there is an end to it. But if you have the perspective of I'm a student of life, I never, yeah, it's like practicing philosophy too, practice, like practicing stoic. Um, it's just a, the mindset of, I can continually grow throughout my entire life and into the next life or whatever it may be. And mm -hmm. believing that there's something more than merely winning in, in this life that we're living here, but there's something to actually 
in and of itself, there's a joy to be found in the pursuit of whatever it is, so like religion or the search for something greater. Mm. And that's what's really drawn me to religion and philosophy and just just being curious about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that some of what Jeff is describing is, I, it feels like the one universe, another universe besides suffering is this antidote, which is love. And um, love is not, love is an action word, right? It's not just a having, it's a doing. And it's a, um, so when he says living life, I don't want to speak for Jeff when I say this, but my experience of Jeff and what I feel like we're, we're being invited into is a, is a love-shaped existence um, in the midst of a harsh storm. And uh, that's what's so artistic and fascinating is the, all, it doesn't matter the category you think of, art, business, uh, creativity, uh, the people who find a way to love in their space, uh, as little as like, you know, they're, they welcome people, hospitality, or they, um, they just find a way to be generous when they don't have much to offer. Um, even, even when, uh, there's this philosopher at, at USC, uh, hero of mine, again, Dallas Willard, um, he uh he was in a class he's famous for this moment he was in a classroom where a student got up and basically like ripped him a new one and uh actually said maligned his character in front of a whole bunch of people said he said things that he didn't say uh was just plain wrong in a bunch of categories mm -hmm. and uh and when dallas was when after the person was done uh dallas got up and he said well i guess we'll end it right there and he sat down and people got really mad. They're like, Dallas, how did you, that's wrong. Dr. Willard, like, why would you do that? And he's like, well, I just got a chance to practice the discipline of not having the last word. And I was like, that is amazing. Like <laughs> that you would be that at ease, that freed up, that generous, that loving in the midst of antagonism. Um, I just found that to be like, like he was Superman in that moment. Like how I want to be Superman. I, I, cause I don't, I don't live like that. I get, I was on a plane ride not too long ago. I'm so embarrassed to tell you the story. I was on a plane ride and um, I was getting, I, I was uh, getting, you know, how it goes, you, you know, you, you land, you get your bags out and you're walking down the aisle. And I was um, across from this husband and wife. It appeared her husband and wife. And the dude is pretty big. He's probably like six, five, pretty heavy dude. Um, not like out of shape, heavy, just like, like he's big dude. And um, he got out and got his bag and zipped down the line and it looked like he and his wife were in a hurry. And uh, I paused and his wife was like, I got to get my bag. You go ahead. So I went ahead and he looked back and he was irritated that I didn't, that his wife wasn't behind him. So I came along and literally he bumps me. Like he gives me a little hip check. And, and as I'm going by, I was like, that's weird, whatever. And, and I kicked my bag and I kept going. Uh, and actually I did say like, what up, man? Like some stupid comment. And, uh, and I, I go to walk out, out of the uh, uh, airplane and the, the stewardess, or the stewardess is a horrible way to frame it, the, the, whatever they call people who help us on the planes, flight attendants, said, um, what was up with that guy? Meaning I was the bad guy. All she saw was me make my comment. And then that guy who hip checked me said, yeah, I don't know what his problem is. And I lost my crap, dude. I turned around and I was like, that is not true. And the guy got up in my grill and he starts cussing at me and I start cussing back. And, and, uh, and I was like, ask your wife, she, whatever. It was like the most, I was that guy. Like they were going to call somebody and get me off the plane. And I just walked away from that moment, just thinking like, it's not about this moral failure or whatever. It was more, that was what was true for me was still coming out of me. That was, and I have so much work to do. Like, I don't want that to come out of me. What I want to come out of me is love even when I misunderstood, especially when I misunderstood, you know, uh, I think it was Nietzsche who talked about how few moral men there really are in the world. Mm. Uh, what's actually true is, and I think he's right in this, people are so afraid of getting in trouble, they fall in line, but they're not actually moral men or women. They just, they're, they're cowardly and they aren't taking, and, but I want to be the kind of person that's the freedom to do something and and either in the right moment, pull back or in the right moment, push forward because of the motivation is love. And that's, 
it feels like the life journey that is worth your time. Um, but I, it's embarrassing to tell these stories because it happens, this stuff happens so often. And yet what I'm craving is a natural response to these things in a way that, that invites people to a richer, deeper life. And it's funny because even what you guys did with men of discomfort, that's why you realize about six, eight weeks in, there's very little to do with working out, right? Right. It's, it's all about the optionality. It's all about when I don't have my, my agency, who do I become? And that's what you discover in the process. And I want to keep becoming. And we're just using this as a mechanism to do that. Wow, that's really interesting. That just highlighted something from Men of Discomfort for me that I don't think I realized during it is that it was that point when I lost agency. And when I knew the reason we were doing certain things was just because you and Tim had made it up. <laughs> totally. I definitely became a complainer and I was whining and I was upset. And that's so, that's so interesting. And I appreciate you sharing that story because it, I think it'll resonate with everyone. Like some days you do a good thing and you feel proud of yourself. And then other days when you're least expecting it, you just yes. act like a, yeah, you act like a toddler and throw a temper totally. tantrum. You're like, what the, what the hell happened there? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's when you, that's when the work starts. Like that's it, even the first thing you asked Vincent about, like here's journey. Like mm-hmm. that's when you know you're on it until you really stumble and just look the fool and everything goes sideways and you're maligned and misunderstood. And, Oh, well now, now welcome to the party. Cause that's when it starts and no, who wants to choose that? Cause there's nothing heroic in that at all. It doesn't sound heroic, but you have to realize your actual state. You have to start like what is actually so, and it's terrifying to find out what is actually so. Because it's way worse than we think it is. <laughs> it's way worse. And, and yet that's where the gold is. Because when we embrace, re- when we look after reality, when we look for, for truth in that space and, and we can find love there, what can't you do? What can't you do for others and for yourself in, in making a contribution to this world? That's what I'm interested in. And that, that is beautifully said and just brings up a lot for me. But yeah, it's like that, these daily interactions that we have, that is part of the hero's journey for each of us, kind of just the spiritual hero's journey of, you know, day by day, you, maybe you get a little bit better in that confrontation where you pull back a little bit more and who knows, but I just read or listened to Courage is Calling by Ryan Holiday. And that I, was was just gonna <laughs> I was just going to bring this up. I was just going to bring it up. It, so I good. Loved it. So good. And it's like, maybe like we were saying how, you know, it's not that we're courageous that we're stepping in line. It's because we're cowardly and we don't want to be the outlier. And maybe because, you know, we're not being sent into battle and um, to fight for our country, at least that we require to anymore in, you know, America and whatnot. But these opportunities to be truly courageous are kind of few and far, very few and far between. And, but it really is in our daily interactions where it takes courage to be friendly to a coworker when they're mistreating you. And that's, that's brave, you know, to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and um, to honestly just, yeah, share love. And it's, we're all tested each and every day. And it's, you know, study philosophy for an hour and then feel like I'm, I got it all figured out and then go outside and call somebody out on the street. <laughs> Not that I've done it, but yeah. <laughs> well, well, and I think one of the nice things that Ryan does in Courage is Calling is, is that, that distinction between being scared and fearful. He de- talks about it early in the book. And being scared is just normal, right? Your vagus nerve is triggered. You have a flight or fight response. It wasn't that I, got, I had a triggered response. I promise Dallas Willard got triggered on the front end. But then he had, had a practiced moment. He practiced to have it to go, okay, in response to that scared feeling, what do I do? And I have nothing to fear. And I want to be someone who has nothing to fear, that who is, who is relaxed in this world, even mm-hmm. though it's stormy. But that, that is a, that's a lifelong skill. So the question becomes for listeners, like, well, so where am I practicing? What's my training ground? Where do I get to go to, go to train for this work? And um, to your point, Vincent, it's, it's start right where you're at. What are you resisting? What are you up against? Who are you up against? What conversation? Like the opportunity for me was to go and apologize. Actually, 
about um, a week later, I had this some epiphanies about my, my attitude when I was traveling. I was very entitled on a bunch of things. And I actually found a, um, a gate agent um, who I confessed to. So I, I went up to this person and I, and, and I said, hey, I want to tell you these things. Would you be open? And she wasn't busy or whatever. And she heard me. And first of all, I was real. I, mean, I, was, I was crying. I was so humbled. I was just like, I'm an ass. I hate that I, I act like I'm special. And, um, and what do you think she felt like when I said that? When I, when I owned up and I asked for, her, for forgiveness on behalf of all people in the airline industry, how do you think she felt? She's probably shocked, shocked, utterly shocked. And do you think she, how do you think she treated me? Respectfully. Yeah. Like, 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 thank you. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, I was the needy one yet. It was a gift. It was a gift to her. Isn't that funny? Mm -hmm. And, and it doesn't always play like that. Sometimes people, it's people tee off, you're vulnerable and they, they take advantage of that. But most of the time, it lands for people like if it's authentic, like, oh man, you're giving me a gift right now. This is, this is music to me. And, and this is like this infectious ripple effect. Like when people get after it like this, it starts producing different kinds of dynamics. Here's what's so funny. My confessor, when is the last time you've seen the same gate agent anywhere in the world again in your life? You never see them. <laughs> Dude, just last week, I'm on a flight. I have some issue that's come up and who would I run into the same person i didn't see her in three weeks or so and i i said do you remember me and she's like, oh i remember you <laughs> and and uh and and it's it, you don't do this for this purpose but i had i was like in a pickle because the flight got canceled and whatever well do you think she went out of her way to help me out of course she did mm -hmm. and but you don't do it to get helped out but when you do it you get helped out like it's it's this funky deal and sometimes it's tempting to try to reverse engineer it and be an authentic in that process. I'm not talking about that, but it's what you said earlier, Vincent, like you, you, you end up the very things you're needing come your way. The very things that you're craving, they show up in creative ways that are just surprising. And I, I interpret that as indicators, kind of lag metrics that we're, we're moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. It pays to be a kind person. I think it was, Lao Tzu, who says no act of kindness, however small is ever wasted. Ever. And there's been so many experiences in my own life like that, where you're nice to the person who you think you might never see again. And then something happens like that. Mm -hmm. And oh, that's just, that's a beautiful story. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I had no intention of confessing all these things to you on your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> we're here for. Yeah. Thank you. Not, what, do I, what do I owe you? This is yeah. great. <laughs> Yeah, last week, I was kind of down in the dumps on a day, down in the dumps on a day. And, you know, one thing happened, like, I just kind of changed my perspective of the situation and like, smiled at a person or just I was like getting x rays doctor's office. I'm like, just let's have some fun with this. And just kind of made it a more joyful experience. Like, you know, talking to the doctor. And, and then the rest of the day was like, life changing, people mm -hmm. were just this woman just like you at the grocery store, like you have the most sincere smile. I'm just like, well, like, you don't know how bad, like I needed to hear that. Like it's been, mm. I didn't say this. I wish I did, but like, it's been a more of a tough day. And like, I wrote like a whole story about it. Cause it was like just the little things that you put out into the universe. You just don't know the kind of effect that it will have. And it brings up a, you know, I don't want to keep just dropping these like quotes from your conversations, but I was just, so much good stuff. Um, your conversation with Seth, Seth Godin, um, and he talks about like our, our journey as creators. And I think this just kind of applies to like anybody is a journey towards your own humanity. So it's really hits home for me with writing. It's like, what am I really doing it for? And I've just the best feedback and like what makes me feel like a writer that's actually making a difference is when people do come and say how such a positive effect that it, it has had on them. And I feel like that's bringing me closer to my own humanity and like, okay, maybe this is what I should be doing. There's no doubt you should. And, and what's being described is whenever you're vulnerable and you give it out to folks, it's an act of generosity. 
And that's what you were doing. That's what you're doing in your book writing. That's what you're doing in your articles that you're writing. That's what you're doing with this podcast. Um, Gregory, this is what you do everywhere you go all the time. Uh, uh, my, my sense is that, um, and what, one of the reasons why you guys are such easy bets in life, if I had money, I'd buy stock in you, um, is, is because you are willing to be um, courageous in your pursuits and generous when you find something. I mean, that's the artist's journey, right? The artist gets this rare privilege in this world to go create something, to go somewhere that nobody gets to go. But the responsibility is once they get there, they have to come back and share what they found. And that's what you guys are up to. And I just wish I'd been out, up for it earlier in my life because uh, so, you're getting after it now. Um, and I think that it's just the beginning. I mean, I, 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 uh, we should put it on our calendars to have another date in 10 years and then 10 years after that and then 10 years after that because I, I think it'd be an interesting, um, and we'll just flip the script. I'll ask you all the questions because I, I want to hear what you guys are discovering in the days to come as you keep that pattern of, um, of courage and generosity, courage and generosity. And to Seth's point, yeah, that's when you find, that's when you find humanity. We will put that in the calendar and it will definitely happen. <laughs> that's great. Awesome. What, one last question as we wrap up here. I know we're coming up on time. I might try and sneak two questions together. I might have one, one more here too. So. Okay, I'll just do a quick one then. This is a question we love asking people. I love asking people. It's a question I ask myself every day. How do you, Dane Sanders, define success at this moment? I think your follow-up phrase at this moment is the best way to answer your question. Like, am I in this moment? If I am in this moment, fully here, that I'll, I'll call that success. I, I hate that might sound like a cop-out, but, um, and it might even sound trite given all the conversations that we hear people talk about being present and presence and so on. But I can't overstate, if I'm here, then there's something that I am awake, I'm conscious, I'm present and nothing really good happens until you wake up. So like, that's the first part. And the second part I think is if I'm gonna be real with here, um, there's vulnerability, there's, there's a strength to be willing to be here. Um, not necessarily a power, but a strength. Um, and with those character pieces in play, I think I give myself my best shot at if I'm playing an, a finite game of maybe winning, um, if I'm playing an infinite game of having a chance to play again tomorrow, um, of, of consciously engaging a, a love-shaped existence in the middle of a harsh reality. But I, I, think, I think that is, if I can be at this moment, then I got, I got my best shot. If I'm scared and I dance with it to, uh, with the fear, as Seth puts it, um, even, um, even Jeff's call, Jeff Goins to be on this journey, um, courageously, all those things require a, a conscious presence. Um, and I, again, I, I want to invite the folks who are listening to ask themselves, am I present right now? Am I just gathering quotables? Am I getting little, uh, snippets. No, all that stuff is going to be very thin unless you're present. And if what you're present with wakes you up a little bit, then, then I'd call that success. Mm. Wow. Love it. And one last thing I'm just hitting on this whole hero's journey, but you, you and Jeff talk about how the pandemic is almost like just a crossing of the threshold into the unknown for all of us. What is the gift that we're all going to come back out of this with. Well, we're not all going to come back with a gift. Uh, some people, it was a curse. And some of that was because they suffered in a way that they didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and, 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 and I respect that. Like it's hard to go through these, these seasons. So that's the first thing I want to say. Second mm -hmm. is um, uh, the rare thing that happened with COVID was it was universal. Everyone had the same 
moment, which it never happens like that, right? Like it normally it's like, you know, my dad dies, not your dad, but then your dad dies. And then my dad, like there's, it doesn't happen in that kind of shared way, that collective way. And I think that collective experience as time continues on and we get away from the polarized politics and all this silly stuff and get more fit close to like, what did going through that season together invite us into? Um, and is there anything that we can carry with us as we move forward? I think back to like 9-11, there was a shared universal American experience in that moment and it, it extended to other parts of the world for sure. Um, but in time it started to, the window closed and things kind of dissipated. And um, that's uh, that'll probably happen with this too, but in the window where we're still awake to it, I think uh, the gift is to, to notice what, what, what happened in that year, two years, whatever. Um, and is there anything I get to carry from it, name it and, and carry it forward for me. Um, and I say this carefully, uh, cause I know so many people really suffered. Um, it was the best year of my life, uh, because of the degree of simplicity that it pushed forward and, uh, it created the village existence It recalibrated my values. Um, I think what you're seeing right now with like the great resignation and all these people resetting on where they live and how they live. Um, there's some really exciting new lines being drawn for folks. And uh, I hope they just keep drawing. I hope they don't stop. I think that's the gift is, I like how you phrased it as name, the thing that you came away with. And for me, it's remember it, keep reminding yourself of that because I definitely am scared that some of the things I discovered during that big crisis period, I'm going to forget and I'm not going to uh, have them. Well, well, fear not because we got another one coming. Don't you worry. <laughs> You're young enough to think that was a tough one. There's a much harder one coming, much harder, guaranteed. Perfect. And, and, uh, and, and, and just, just be awake and strong and you'll be fine. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. We, yeah, we could go for hours yeah. talking about philosophy and grappling with these big questions. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to say this as we're done. Uh, thank you both for the good work that you're doing. I, I have a, the gift of having a chance to, to know you in real life. And that isn't always the case with these kinds of conversations. And um, I, I see in both of you, Vincent, what I see in you is someone who is interested and curious and um uh you see a, you there's a creativity uh that you're both scared of and you are desperate for uh you want to put your your living on the line to find it and um it inspires people even in those moments when you are insecure and nervous about it and uh i just want to encourage you man keep writing keep going in the direction that you're going um and gregory man you i i don't know how you weaseled your way into my life man but uh, i i, I <laughs> it's a fluke. yeah i feel like we're, we're gonna we're gonna put your name up in one of the bedrooms in the house over here like <laughs> but anybody who's willing to hang out with me for 15 hours and 37 minutes uh, they should get an award and but uh but i but i will say much bigger than that man uh you you inspire me to want to do the work that I'm doing and in a different kind of way, you keep in me on, you've kept me honest. You ask the questions that um, are uncommon and you do it in a compassionate way. You don't just think about yourself. You think about, uh, you know, your family, you think about the, the outliers, the people who don't fit in these nice, nice, neat little boxes that I like to talk about. And uh, the fact that you, it's always the outsider we need to care about. And you care about that person. And I hope that never ends for you. So bless you both. What a gift to be here and bless this work because we need more of it. Thank you so much, sir. It's honestly, that was one of the best conversations I've ever had. <laughs> um, thank you. Honestly, I, got, I have tears in my eyes and I really appreciate your words and who you are and just everything you've done. Thank you. Thanks, Dane. And thanks for everyone who's tuning in today. We will talk to you soon and we love you guys.